On tonight's show, we speak with Nigel Glockler, drummer of Saxon. The band releasing their brand new album, Carpe Diem Seize the Day. And we hear from the mastermind behind Metal Devastation Radio, Zach Moonshine. All that, plus more. Metal Mayhem, ROC, the podcast, next. WLFE TV Radio. Hi, this is Nigel Glockler from Saxon. You're listening to Metal Mayhem ROC with John the Vernomatic Verno. Are you ready? Live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com, or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. And now, welcome tonight's host, John the Vernomatic Verno. Good evening, everybody. Thursday night, time for a brand new episode. Visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website. There you'll find directs streaming links to spotify apple Podcasts, stitcher however you consume this show while you're there do us a favor download some past shows rate review and subscribe last week we had tony martin solo album thorns a couple weeks ago before that we had our continuing series of the history of metal me metal walt and ian o'rourke we navigate that series tonight's show it's a good one we bring February in with Nigel Glockler of Saxon. The band releases their new album, Carpe Diem, Seize the Day, tomorrow. And we have Nigel on the show talk about the album, how it came together. And we take a real cool walk down heavy metal memory lane. And he shares tons and tons of stories about back in the day. Uh, sign up for our email list. There you'll receive weekly updates on new shows and free giveaways. I'd just like to remind everyone about our media partners, Metal Mark James. He's a good friend of the show. Well, Mark has a kick-ass show on both Friday and Saturday nights. Friday nights, he has Metal Mark's Vault. There he specializes in rare and classic metal. And then on Saturday, he regroups and he comes back with Metal Mark's Audio Aggression. Now, this show... He concentrates on new and current releases from old and current bands. So it's a great way to end your metal week with two kick-ass radio shows. But more importantly, let's start our metal week with a live radio show that I host on Metal Devastation Radio. It's a three-hour interactive show, Monday night, 6 to 9 p.m., listeners from all over the world. There's an interactive chat room. People are... uh, commenting back and forth sending in requests we usually have a theme of the night and it's a real good way to bring your metal monday in for a landing so before we get to this nigel glockler interview the new saxon coming out tomorrow i have zach moonshine the owner and the mastermind behind metal devastation radio the new home of the metal mayhem roc live radio show zach welcome to the show how you doing man I'm doing great, man. Hello to the uh, Metal Mayhem listeners. You're the guy behind the scenes, the one that keeps Metal Devastation Radio going. Tell us about your brand, exactly what it's all about, how you got into it. Tell us about it, because it's an exciting platform you have, buddy. Thank you. Thank you very much for the nice words and uh, the introduction. 
I just I'm a metalhead, and I love uh, I love being a part of the the community of uh, of metal. I've always been into radio since I was a little kid, since listening to uh, college radio when I was when I was real young in the in the '90s. A lot of a lot of different things sort of led to this point. It's uh, it's a really long. <laughs> it's, it's a, long, a really story. long story. Well, you know, the metal community is a tight knit community, and you just you know, once you're a metalhead, you're always you're always in the club. You know, you could be walking down the street and you see someone in a Motorhead shirt. And, you know, you give them a nod. Usually the devil horns are a quick uh, smile. And, you know, we can instantly relate. When I got back into uh, internet radio and I've been at a couple different platforms. And when I came over to MDR, I really liked what I saw here. It's a um, combination of jocks from all around, all around the globe. But more importantly, now a lot of internet stations have that platform where they have jocks in the UK or... Europe and across the states but Metal Devastation Radio takes it a step further with your PR side of things you you are really in touch with one the labels two the publicists that promote these bands but you have your own PR division of Metal Devastation Radio tell us a little bit about that um i think it all goes back to to me just being a uh impatient and, and wanting to do things or, or wanting things to be done in a way that, that I would like them to be done. And you know, that, I think that's how the radio thing got started too, is because I'm a musician as well. When I first got into putting my music online on uh, MySpace way back in the day, I noticed right away that there was podcasts and there was internet radio and stuff like that available. I had never known about something like that before. And uh, when I realized that, and these people were wanting to put my music on there and stuff, and then next thing I know, I'm getting a, a, a DJ job at another radio station. They wanted me to, to be a DJ on there, and so I did that, and that opened up my view of it. But then the way that that radio station was, uh, there was a lot of things that they were doing that weren't were kind of alienating a lot of people. And I really wanted to do something that was inclusive that would bring in people and not push them away. So that's that's how I broke off from that and then started my own radio station because I just I had an idea and a vision of how I wanted it to be done. Well, the PR thing really happened. I mean, it was it was something that I had thought about doing, but I wasn't sure I knew exactly how to do it or how to go about it. I had seen other people doing it for years, you know, but during the pandemic when i got laid off from work it was scary didn't know what was going to go what was going to happen and at that time there was a couple bands that had contacted me and actually asked me because they had saw they'd seen how i had how i'd done things through my blog and how uh, my email newsletters for radio shows and interviews and stuff that we were doing how it was getting a lot of a lot of traction and they actually contacted me and asked me uh, if they paid me if I would promote their album or their release or something you know and yeah at the time I was like well you know I, it, it was scary you know I'm like fuck man I'm gonna, you know like you take money from somebody you've got to be able to deliver results you know I was scared but at the same time I needed to do something I needed to bring in some kind of income for my family and my my bills you know 
Yeah. So, uh, so I, I, I took the leap. I took the jump, and I, I, you know, I put together a promotional package for those bands, sent it out, and right away I got a really good uh, reaction. They were getting interviews and features and websites and stuff, and it just sort of snowballed from there, and it's blown into this full-on thing now. You know, now I'm doing it from home 100%. Walked away from the factory that I've been at for ten years, and this is my life now, and and I love it, man. It's 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 awesome. Every day, somebody's emailing me, somebody's letting me know that uh, that they're getting this feature or that, and it's just, I mean, it's that's awesome, man. Because you're contributing to the platform that you love, part of the community, and like you said, it's sort of the the, the PR division, sort of just organically morphed into something. Hey, it's a plus of the pandemic that you had this time. You had the need for the income and the outside sources were courting you, if you will. So that's fantastic. So Metal Devastation Radio, how many jocks are on the roster? (laughs) I knew you were going to ask me that. You know what? I forget every time. I'm not going to lie. I have to go look at the schedule to even see but i mean you know i think there's like there's like 20 or 30 of us i'm gonna tell you something from day one when i came here yourself and your crew have been nothing nothing but warm sincere outgoing and it's been a pleasure so um and then the the listeners the you know the people i've met in the chat room are cool the other jocks are cool it's just been a great experience so uh, let's see. Th- um, anything else you want to tell the Metal Mayhem listeners about the Metal Devastation brand, where they can find you, all the... Well, I mean, uh, pretty much everything, all the information that you need is available at MetalDevastationRadio.com. And uh, we just, we thank everybody and appreciate everything that everybody does. And uh, keep on banging your heads and keep pissing off your neighbors, man. <laughs> That's right. And And Zach, you know, he's not just one of those owners that doesn't lead. Uh, he, he happened to have the luck of the draw. He has Friday nights, 8 to whenever he brings his show in for a landing, the the Zach Moonshine show, specializing <laughs> interviews and, um, you know, cool tunes and just, a you know, a good time. So there's live music 24-7. Some of it's automated, but most of it is live jock. So uh, Zach Moonshine, thanks for uh, taking some time out and, you know, telling us about your brand. Thank you, brother. Thank you for taking the uh, the time to have me on. You're welcome. All right, that's uh, Zach Moonshine, Metal Devastation Radio. All these links and information for the station and our show is right at the MetalMayhemRLC.com website. So we're going to take a quick break, and then Nigel, he's in the green room. He's going to come out, tell us about Carpe Diem Seize the Day. I'm the Vernomatic, Metal Mayhem ROC, the podcast. Hey, what's going on, listeners of Metal Devastation Radio? Vernomatic here, inviting you to get those horns up and to join us live Monday night, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time for Metal Mayhem ROC Live. We crack the vaults open and play the best of the metal for the last 50 years. Get in the chat room, meet other bangers from around the world, send me a request, and I'll get it on for you. That's Metal Mayhem ROC Live with me, the Vernomatic. Monday nights, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on MetalDevastationRadio.com. Hey! 
Hey! Listen up. Now get that popcorn ready and grab a seat. Do it! As the Vernomatic presents this week's feature interview, exclusively here on Metal Mayhem ROC. Our guest today is a veteran of over 40 plus years in the hard rock and heavy metal arena. In 2021, he's celebrating 40 of those years with metal pioneer Saxon. He's here today to discuss the band's 23rd studio album, Carpe Diem Seize the Day. Let's welcome back to Metal Mayhem ROC, Nigel Glockler. Hey, Nigel, thank you for joining us again. Hey, hi, John. Good to, good to talk to you again, man. Great. Thanks for having me back. Of course. So last time we talked, uh, the Inspirations album was out. We were about a year into the pandemic. All that horseshit was going on. Here we are supposedly bright light at the end of this tunnel so Fingers the band- <laughs> yes tell us about the setbacks and the pandemic and the hurdles you had to overcome what's it been like for yourself the band biff there's been health issues how'd this all come about no well i mean what happened well i mean you know we we were looking at the album i actually um actually uh, did the drum tracks um before the pandemic hit and um, you know, I mean, we've changed we changed a few things since then, but the basics of the whole album, were, I, I did them then, and then the pandemic hit, of course, and the um, the record company didn't want us to release the album with us without us being able to tour. Sure. So, sure. Um, you know, so that actually gave us so as as the sort of release of it was put back, that gave us more, you know, that gave us some time. Hence, we did the Inspirations album in the in the time frame that we would have been finishing the Carpe Diem off, album off. So we did the Inspirations album as well and put that out as like a stopgap, you know, before we could before we could do, you know, get this thing finished and, and put out. So, but then of course the, um, you know, the pandemic's gone on longer than I think anyone thought initially. So touring was screwed up and, uh, but, you know, finally it's coming out early next year and, you know, God willing, we can tour. Well, inspirations, like you said, it was a carryover. Yeah. Quickly, how did that album do for you guys? Did it achieve what you wanted it to do, or just kept the Saxon name? Yeah, it did. It did very. It did very well, actually. We were quite pleased, and you know, I mean, you know what tracks were on there. Mm-hmm. We heard, um, you know, we, for instance, we heard from uh, Steve Lucas that said he loved our version of Toto's "Hold the Line." You know, so it was yeah. cool. You know, it was great. So. A lot of people loved it. They were really surprised by some of the choices on it. Painted Black was another one that went down a storm and also Paperback Writer. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, well, each one of those tracks had its own identity and it was like like the whole mission of the album. You're just, you know, yeah. it's your peers and you're just having fun. So Yeah, it was fun. So let's see, you're back with Andy Sneap. Looks like you have a nice little combination here. The last four or five albums, he's been involved, producing, mixing. What's the relationship with yep. Andy? And tell us about the assembly of Carpe Diem. Well, I mean, Andy's great because, I mean, I love working with him because, you know, we, um, you know he said when, once he starts mixing an album or whatever, um, you know, we sort of... Um, we're in communication with each other all the time. He sends me sort of mixes of the drums and the drum sounds and everything. So we, you know, we we totally sort of cooperate on that, which is great because, you know, in the past, I think some producers said, no, this is how it is. 
you know, so he's great to work with. He, I mean, he loves the band. I mean, he loves heavy metal to start with. I mean, you know, he's like the guest guitarist with Judas Priest when they go out on tour. Yeah, yeah, he fills um, that role, and I think he likes doing that. Oh, he loves it. I mean, they're his favorite band, I think. So for him, that's a dream come true, you know. Um, but uh, no, he, he's brilliant to work with. I mean, some, sometimes I sort of, you know, I've recorded the drums at his studio. So we have a lot of we have a lot of fun doing it. I mean, we're very serious, but we have a lot of fun doing it. You know, it's it's a joy to work with him. What, now, did you begin your relationship with Andy through Priest, or did Priest see what you were doing with Andy, and then they got him involved with their projects, or was he just an uh, industry up and comer? Yeah, I mean, he was getting a big name around the industry. You know, he was doing us. He was doing he was doing loads of bands. So I think they just picked up on you know the fact that he was doing so well. They obviously liked what he was doing sound wise and everything. So I think that came about. I mean, I think you know the last Judas Priest album was a was a great album. You know, and he got the great sounds on it too. So is is that connection? Because I saw that tour, and you're right, the Firepower uh, Thunderbolt tour. Yeah, I saw it up in uh, Canada. Yeah. But is that your connection with the tour? Did you share management, or how did that connection come about? Nothing. It just—I mean, we've known Priest for a long time, you know. I always remember, actually, funnily enough, I think it was when we were doing—I uh, think it was when we were doing Power and the Glory. I mean, KK came to the studio, you know, in Atlanta when we were doing it because I think they were passing through there or something. Um, so, you know, we've had a lot of contact with them anyway. So I think it was like a sort of joint decision. Let's put this tour together. You know, that was sort of behind the scenes with our agents and, and promoters and stuff like that. By this point of the game, it's, you know, who can you get along with? Who do you know? Because, you know, you got to live together basically for the length of that tour. So, well, that's right. Plus the fact that everyone thought it would be a great package. It was. I wish. Um, I'm up here in Rochester, New York, and the exposure of Saxon's been limited in terms of our market. Um, I think really the last time you've been to Rochester was a show at the Penny Arcade, possibly like Power and the Glory. Wow. Yeah. That is a long time. It really back. is. And yeah. You know, it's like it's like it's the it's the same thing, you know, we'll play anywhere if people want us, but it's it's down to promoters local promoters wanting to have us you know it's not down to us saying no we're not playing there we'll play any you know again it's down to promoters sort of you know maybe in some places that we haven't been for a while taking the risk or that you know they see it's it's like that with any band we did a uh, road trip metal mayhem roc road trip down to jersey we spent the day with uh, the gallagher yep. brothers in raven and it was the same same yeah. thing. And, you know, we've been doing some small club promotion up here in Rochester. And just that interaction, we were trying to get them up here, but there wasn't a venue available. And then the routing and, you know, it's just it's behind the behind yeah. the curtain issues. But let's talk about the writing yeah. of this album. Now, this band, you know, you guys been together 20, 25 years. It looks like this this lineup are any any of yeah. these songs uh, air quotes leftovers from the Thunderbolt is it all freshly conceived music tell us about the material no it's just I mean it's you know I mean everyone in the band writes I mean um, Nibs does a lot of lot of writing when when he's at home and everything he's, he's just sort of non-stop but everyone puts ideas in and we just sort of 
thrash things around and see what comes out. But no, there was nothing left over from the last recordings. You know, we'd, I mean, we may get little pieces that we think, well, we didn't do anything with that, so maybe we'll try something. But generally, it's all fresh stuff. And 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 then a lot of the a lot of the titles, for instance, come obviously come from Biff because he writes the lyrics, and uh, so he gets an idea. But you know, again, we'll throw things up. Why don't we do a song about this? Why don't we do so? But the actual titles come from him because he's writing the lyrics and you know he's working out uh, choruses and stuff like that. And and we just thought, I mean, with with Carpe Diem, for instance, we just thought, I mean, it's a great quote. It's a great sort of attitude to life so and it just made it just made sense for it to be the album title and it lent it and it lent itself to a great cover as well uh let's do a roundup how's everyone's health everyone's everyone everyone's good we're just sort of itching to get get out and start playing again you know it's been it's been very frustrating but uh nowhere i mean biff's doing good we're all doing good we're just waiting to get out there and do it, you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. We're waiting to see everything. What is the what is the touring <laughs> landscape? What is the plans? So the album comes out February fourth, and yeah, what, what what is the what is well, the plan? Yeah, we we've still got um, we've got three UK shows, which are like uh, they were postponed for about three times I think due to the pandemic and various other things so we've got them at the end of January sort of uh, three big shows in the UK and the provisionally we're looking at coming I mean our manager does say this is all totally provisional um, you know due to the pandemic etc etc but we're looking at coming over there our management's looking at uh, sort of us touring over there maybe from mid-April to mid-May then we go uh, then it's sort of you know, festival season all around Europe and the UK and everything. So we've got that. I mean, apparently there's going to be festivals nearly every weekend for us, which is great. Um, then after that, we sort of, uh, I think the talk was doing a UK tour for the new album. Although, you know, it's, obviously it's a couple of months after, a few months after the album's come out, but a proper UK and, and, and European tour. So hopefully we'll be, you know, in the US, sort of late spring early summer which would be great yeah that we we see those tour those festival lineups and you know we we get jealous some of those are just <laughs> incredible um we we're talking with uh frank bellow of anthrax he has a new book out and we yeah. had a nice long talk and you know i asked him the same thing and he's like john you just wouldn't imagine it just from a, a fan standpoint you know, and it's yeah. just the, the good, good. At least there's work. If it happens, that's great. Yeah. If it, I mean, this is, you know, fingers crossed. It's all going to go ahead. Well, 40 plus years and congratulations in 2021. You're, you're celebrating your 40th year with Saxon 40 plus years in the recording industry. Um, how does the band put together a, a set list at this point? And of course, it depends on the type of gig. Are you support? Are you headlining? All that comes into yeah. play. But is it is there a formula? It's three off the new one, and you just. It, I mean, again, as you say, it, it all depends what our set time is. You know, when we're headlining, obviously we play a bit longer. Um, but I mean, if we're sort of in a like a co, for instance, say a co-headline 
tour or whatever, both, you know, both us and the headline band or vice versa, you know, we both sort of generally play the same length of sets, which could be hour 15, something like that. Because um, obviously you can't go on too late. Um, again, so, I mean, you, you go on tour really to support a new album. So obviously a, a good, at least 50% of the set has got to be the new album. Um, and then it's just sort of, favorites after that which can vary from country to country because certain songs go down better in certain countries you know so you you have to sort of pull those in for a certain country and take others out that might go down well somewhere else um festival time that's a completely different entity because i think festival time you run through all your most favorite songs you know and just sort of bang them out you know i think i think that's what a festival is about it's more i mean a festival i mean i hate to use this sort of word but festivals more like party time you know so it's just give them the hit, yeah you, you know, know and it's like you know we've heard many artists say it's like look at you know, yeah, you get the 5% of the diehards, and I use these ratios loosely, that would love to hear yeah. some B-side from, you know, an album from 79. But as soon as you sure. start playing that, the soccer mom or the lacrosse dad, he's like, oh, I don't know this song. What the hell? Why aren't you playing? And yeah, I know. No, I know. And then and then there's other songs you play that some people might go, oh, God, not that. Yeah, again. but yet. You know, I mean, every, every, every band gets this. I mean, we had a great thing. One time um, we headlined at uh, Vacken. We played two tracks off every album in reverse order. That was fun. Well, like um, <laughs> you started with like uh, two songs from Thunderbolt and made your way back to. Yeah, we, I mean, it was, it was previous to yeah. Thunderbolt. I think the latest, this was a few years ago. I think, I think the, the latest album when we did that was maybe Sacrifice, I think, or maybe even before that. But I just remember, yeah, we, yeah, we worked out with a more recent and then went backwards. Yeah, uh, Rush did that on their last tour. They start, yeah, right. and and you know that's fun because this leads me to my next question. How how do you see the crowd, the audience, the forty years touring around? Do you see the old timers bringing their kids and their grandkids? Do you see the younger kids up at the front knowing the old stuff, or is it yes to all? Yeah, in a word, yep. yes. You know, our, our audience is totally sort of changing you know yeah you get the the older hardcore fans but yeah they're bringing their kids and the kids are the ones up the front and i'm so surprised that's they're singing along to all the words going mad you know it's great not just the most recent albums the earlier ones too so it's really refreshing to see that it's great and, and there isn't that something nigel that when bands have a successful career there's actually people that like the old timers can't understand, you know, they're stuck in their ways. Like, Oh, I don't listen to anything past, you know, you know, 86, but yet then you have the newcomers yeah. are like, ah, I don't like that old stuff. I like the nineties and the two thousands as an artist. That must be fantastic to have, you know, that the span of generations and all your music's being appreciated. Yeah, it is. It, it is. It's, great it's you know we really appreciate that but i'm saying but there again as i say a lot of the kids up the front they're singing the old stuff as well you know 
They're, sing they're singing everything, and sometimes we look at each other <laughs> like, whoa, what's going on here? You know, it's great. Yeah, sure. That, that, that must be great. Uh, after all these years, you still get surprised, and it keeps you coming back. So, Yeah, sure. We're talking with Nigel Glockler from Saxon. The new single, Carpe Diem, is from the brand-new album, Carpe Diem Sees the Day, comes out. February 4th, everywhere, obviously, streaming services. Get out there and buy the hard product. What's the video plan for this? Do you Are people still watching videos? Is it still a promotional tool, or is it just something you have to do? It's right. I think, I, think, I think it's more of a promotional tool. I mean, anyone can go on YouTube and, you know, type in any band. I mean, I've been, I've been on YouTube, and I'm, it's, I mean, I think it's a great vehicle for a for promoting and and you know and also i mean i love it because more and more stuff's going up i'm finding like videos from bands i used to listen to in the 70s you know and it's great i love it first ever proper gig i went to was grand funk railroad in hyde park in london it was a free gig mm -hmm. you know and because uh, i mean that was the first band i went really nuts about and uh, when they were still the three-piece and um, they were supported by Humble Pie when uh, Peter Frampton was still in. Yeah, and they just bought out. They were just bought out the Rock in the Fillmore album. Came out shortly after that gig, actually. But it was like through that, and, and I just suddenly went. I mean, this is a while back. Suddenly went on YouTube. I wonder if there's some Grand Funk Railroad from that period on there. And there it is. You know, it's great. And I, you know, brilliant. And then other bands that I got into at the same time. There was a, a band from Fort Worth, I believe, called Blood Rock. Who were I think managed by Terry Knight, the same the same Grand Funk manager. So I found all this stuff, and it's it's great. So I think YouTube is a great tool for finding this stuff. So I think you know putting the videos on there are you know mainly for promotion and letting people see what you're up to and everything. Nigel, we're going to turn the corner on our conversation today, but we like to end all of our discussions with a segment we like to call Heavy Metal Memory Lane where we discuss the guest's career. And in your instance, it's when you joined the band in the 1981 denim and leather era. You took over for Pete Gill, and then your first recording was the live album, The Eagle Has Landed. So let's pick it up from when you joined the band, uh, denim and leather, 1981. What do you got? Okay, so denim and leather tour, yeah. Um, the first the first gig on that was in my hometown, and I'd actually bought tickets to it. <laughs> so, uh, and then I ended up playing it, obviously. I had about, I think it was about two, three days to learn the whole setting. So that was a bit of a nightmare, but we got through it. And then, um, let's see, and then the band, the band said to me, oh, by the way, we're recording a live album in about 10 days. And I was like, yikes. <laughs> and that ended up being the Eagle Has Landed. Eagles landed part. Eagles landed part one. Yeah, beautiful. So th at this point, you were taking over for uh, Pete Gill, and you became a you yeah. became a permanent member. That that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, Power in the glory. Any remembrance of Power in the glory? Yeah, I mean, uh, we recorded that at uh, Jeff Glixman's studio in Atlanta. Um, for me, that was an important album because it was you know me putting my mark on new material. And uh, also, I knew, you know, I knew how popular Pete Gill had been with the fans, so it, it was it was a really important to me. I had to sort of, uh, you know, 
impress them, so to speak, if I could, you know, because I was taking over from a much-loved figure. And the other thing was we found, while we were recording, we're all, uh, the whole band's really into Indian food, like curry and stuff, and we found a, a brilliant curry restaurant in Atlanta that was run by two English guys from Birmingham, UK. So we were down there a lot. <laughs> yeah, right. 1984 had Crusader. Uh, share some insight on the Crusader album. Yeah, the, uh, the Crusader album we did um, in L.A. at Sound City, I believe. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm just trying to think what went off with that. No, I mean, that was, that was uh, again, that was, a, that was a pretty fun album to do. But what I most remember, actually, about is the tour where my drum tech was, was dressed up at the night at the beginning of the show. So he had to stand on the battlements of the castle, you know. Oh, so that that tour you had a a castle stage prop set up. Yeah, we had like a castle, like a castle, like a castle stage. Yeah, and my tech, you know, we put him in knights knights gear, holding a scroll. You know, <laughs> which didn't go down too well with him when we suggested it, but he did it. <laughs> now I do know in eighty five, eighty six, eighty eight the landscape was changing. Now we're like in the middle of the 80s. Reflect reflect yep. on how that period, Innocence through Destiny, how you, you saw the the, 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 the landscape chan, changing and what Saxon's role was in that. Yeah, I mean, we went down and it, I mean, obviously production values were getting a lot better. The, equip, the recording equipment was getting better. I mean, we spent three months in uh, in Munich recording Innocence. Um, but uh, it was, you know, I mean, it was a time you had, like, Phil Collins was doing his stuff and all that sort of thing. So that was making a sort of big influence on producers with their drum sounds and stuff like this. But, uh, I mean, it seemed to take forever doing that album. But, you know, we, we were pleased with the results. Um, you know, there's some great songs on it. There are some great songs on it, but um, you know, some people have said maybe some of them were a bit too non-metal, shall we say? Which I, I disagree with because I mean, whenever we play any of those tracks live, you know, we're we're a heavy rock band, so I mean, it comes over heavy, you know. But uh, yeah, it was a difficult time because that was the sort of hair metal time as well. 1986, Rock the Nations came out. Now at this. Now, yep. at this point, the band's been around recording career five to seven years. Did it, did it ever yep. get to the point where you, you felt things just changing and you almost felt like, oh, wow, we used to be the up-and-comers, and now we're like the old guard. You know, the, the American thrash was happening, and some of the English yep. bands, Maiden and Priest, were at their pinnacle height. Where did Sax Where yep. did Saxon fit in with this? I mean, we were, you know, I mean, 86 was Europe. Europe is very sort of, um, they're very loyal to you. So the, so the touring, you know, situation was, was good. It was just you had to keep coming up with, with just great albums. I mean, we were touring, touring the U.S. a lot. In fact, the one thing I do remember is that uh, uh, whether it was our management or the record company, we ended up initially having 10 days to write that album. From scratch. Yeah, 10 days to conceive I mean, and write Rock the Nations? Yeah, yeah, that's all the time we were given. 
you know we, in fact funnily enough we went we went down to um rockfield there was me biff and our sound guy actually we went down with with a lot of the gear set stuff up and and we actually started writing waiting for the night that evening and then just we were just you know getting stuff set up and it was all a big sort of rush so um we put this stuff down and i put the keyboards on it and then uh, biff and i worked on the vocal on that we had the basic we had the basic chorus and the uh, i think the first verse we had all that down in demo form before the other guys arrived the next morning. That's, I mean, that's how fast we had to do it. You know? What's your personal take on that album? I like it, actually. I, to be quite honest, I actually prefer it to Innocence. I think there's some tracks on there that are, you know, I just preferred it. I mean, the vibe was great. We recorded it in Hilversum in Holland. Um, you know, as you know, Elton John was in the same studio. And he... He, you know, his band actually would, were in our studio more than they were working with because <laughs> they were just listening. They were listening to what we were doing, and Elton came in and said, "I want to play piano on that track." So he got his uh, tech to wheel his electric grand in the studio, and he played on a couple of tracks. You know, it was great. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, did you learn anything from th th that process? That hey, you know what? Sometimes um, magic is captured when you don't realize it or when you're put in a situation and did you take any of those recording habits and move it forward or did you pivot back to the standard? I think, I think, I think, I think sometimes, you know, if, if, if you feel things are right, I mean, it, it forces you to work hard, which I don't think is a bad thing. Um, as I say, I mean, we generally had a great vibe in that, in that studio. We were working with Gary Lyons who produced Foreigner and, um, it was it was a good thing. Sometimes I think you you know if a song's right, mm -hmm. you know it's sometimes the mag the magic can happen sort of kind of instantly, you know. Whereas whereas other times you might have something and it just goes on and you leave it and you leave it and leave it and leave. It and you come back and go, no, this is rubbish actually. So then we tend to scrap things, you know. We're very fussy about what we, you know, we try to be very fussy about what we do, you know. Obviously, we can't sort of uh, comment on what the fans like. Yeah, you know, we can only we can only say how we feel about something, and uh, you know, we were we were happy with that. Although, you know, it was fast, but I think actually sonically, it's a lot heavier album than Innocence. So, if push came to shove, if someone said which one do you prefer, I'd go with Rock the Nations definitely. And in '88, last album of the '80s, Destiny. Now that that was the period you left and what was doing stuff with GTR and how in that period. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. There was a hey forty years. There is a, a a portion of time that you were gone for health reasons and other. Oh uh, what? Yeah, I mean that that was that was later on. Yeah, no, there, I mean the thing with uh, you know Destiny. I mean, I I got Destiny and, and listened to it. And I mm. thought that you know. The ride like the wind thing was great. I mean, there's some great tracks on Destiny. You know, let's touch base on the the last ten years from the. Uh, let's pick it up from Call to Arms, the Andy Snipe years. When did Andy come on board? Uh, Call the Andy Sneep. You mean yeah, not Sneep? <laughs> Andy Sneep. Thank you. <laughs> uh, my pronunciation's terrible. I think he, I think he came on as far as I remember. I think he came on board. For um, sacrifice, 
Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, and it, it was great. It was the first first time. I mean, Andy had been in, you know, he'd been in this band that had played with us on a sort of like four, four or five band bill with uh, Man of War, you know, on a German, on some German shows and everything. So um, to suddenly like hear he'd suddenly turned into this producer guy, I was like, whoa, you know, great. But no, I mean, we got on great straight away. And he's definitely, you know, put a sonic mark on, on the band without a doubt. You know, I have two final questions, Nigel. Recently, Biff came out and made the statement that those really Wheels of Steel, Strong Arm, Denim, those are classic albums. And maybe what held you guys back was management, promotion, timing, marketing, whatnot. Even though you weren't with the band here in Wheels of Steel and Strong Arm and Denim, can you? Can you yeah. comment on that commentary from from uh, Beth? I mean, I was, you know, to be quite honest with you, I mean, I was sort of, uh, you know, I had I had wheels of steel actually, and I I bought um, strong arm. To be to be perfectly honest with you, I mean, I wasn't listening around that period. I was listening more to like prog and, and jazz fusion, you know, like. Uh, Chick career and stuff. Fair so, enough, fair enough. So you really weren't a, you know, you weren't a denim and leather air quote guy. You, you're, you, this was sort of, you got into Saxon as work and then you went with the band. Well, no, I mean, I, I did, I did like them, hence I was going to go and see them on the denim and leather tour. Yeah, I bought tickets for it, as yeah. I told you, uh, you know, at the beginning. I bought tickets. They were playing in my hometown, you know. Um, because I wanted to see what it was all about and everything, but you know, comparing them to Maiden, I mean, I just look at it and go, you know, there were certain things that sort of, kind of, maybe went wrong. I mean, for instance, you know, when we did the uh, the Power and the Glory tour with Maiden, they were on the Peace of Mind tour, right? And we did, we had the Power, they had Peace of Mind out, we had Power and the Glory, and we toured the U.S. and we went down a storm, you know, went down an absolute storm, and but unfortunately whether it was our manager or agent or whatever, they'd only put us on half the tour. I think, I honestly think if we'd stayed on that tour till the end, we would have broken through in America as well, definitely. But, you know, hey-ho, you can't just, you know, I look forward, I don't look back and everything. Uh, you know, I love the Maiden guys. I'm really good friends with Nico and Steve. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think they've done brilliantly. And, uh, you know, I admire them for that good luck to them and everything um i just think with a lot of bands you get you know luck it's the right time at the right place whatever but i i sort of don't look back on this kind of stuff you know i look forward yeah we, uh rochester was a casualty of that tour we didn't have saxon and no just oh yeah who did you have who was the band that replaced coney hatch that yeah I keep trying to remember who ripped. And no disrespect yeah. to Coney Hatch, but you know when you when you had made in Fastway and Saxon, ah, oh, come on, that was, you know it. <laughs> that was another great. That was another great package again. You know, like the Priest Saxon Black Star Riders thing. It was a great. Yeah, package. you know we missed you guys so many times up here, and then to see like you know you go through the archives, and you see Saxon touring with Rush. And you see Saxon yeah. with all these guys, all these bands, and you're like, 
I was uh, I was really annoyed that I missed that one because I'd like to have done that. One. Oh, you you weren't in the band when uh, when Saxon opened for Rush. No, no, no. But I was a big Rush fan, so you know, yeah, I would have loved to have done that to it. Have you ever? I just I just miss I just missed that one. Apparently. Uh, have you ever had a chance to meet Rush? Yeah, I've met Alex actually. Yeah, had a chat with Alex. We were at a. I think it was like a sort of music awards thing in, in the UK and uh, sort of had a, had a little talk with them. I never met never met Neil and I, and I haven't met Ged either. Mm -hmm. but, but yeah, Alex came across, really nice guy. Well, just like uh, real life where this is a small world, the rock and roll metal community, it's a fraternity and that's even smaller. So, you know, just respect around the horn for from us is fans and admirers to what you guys do and within your community it's nothing but you know you've exemplified this through our conversation that it's just you know you guys are you're veterans and you've all been through the trenches together and there's politics yeah. and bs everywhere i like i like that term through the trenches that's a great <laughs> that, yeah that, that's a a saxon term <laughs> through the trenches the crusader came through so <laughs> All right, well, uh, Nigel, uh, of course, we wish you the best of luck. Uh, we'll support and promote Carpe Diem every way possible up here. Thank, Thank you. you for uh, taking some time with us today. Any uh, parting shots? What's the uh, social search, Saxon.com? How can people get all this information? Uh, uh, we got the website, which is saxon747.com, but, I mean, you know... Um Again, there's a YouTube channel. There's all sorts of stuff. Just go to the website, and it's all the links are there. Just, just, just Google Saxon and all kinds of stuff. Well, look forward to seeing you again, finally on tour. Maybe we'll get up to Rochester. Yeah, that. Yeah, John, that would be great. You know, find meet up, go and have a beer. Thank you, Nigel. Same to you, and um, safe travels. Thanks a lot. Metal for Life. Thank you for listening to Metal Mayhem ROC. Check out our website at MetalMayhemROC.com for information on podcasts, archives, links to all our live radio shows, and all sorts of info. Please like, follow, and share with everyone, even your non-metal friends. And always remember to keep it heavy. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.